1: guys. My name is David Breer and welcome to episode 60 of InsurTech Insider. This time we're being recorded in New York. And as you might know, we recently opened an office over here. Today, we're bringing you our very first InsurTech Insider, the New York edition this time. On today's show, we'll be focusing on what's happening over here in New York's InsurTech industry. Uh, This space over here has just boomed for the last couple of years. So really digging down on what's happening here and actually what's made it such a, a special group of people, group of companies that are really sort of moving the industry forward. As always, we're not alone, though. And to give some real insights into the insure tech industry in the Big Apple, I've asked some really interesting guests to come along. So first up, we have Jay. Uh, Jay, you're, I mean, I, I always struggle with like pronunciations of surnames. And I said before, but I'm going to have a go. And if I balls it up, you've got to like, I said balls it up again, didn't I? And no, I good,
2: but now I know what it means. So I'm ready.
1: You're ready for it. Okay.
2: And so graphic too. It's um, perfect. You
1: know? uh, Weintraub. That's great. It's probably better than I said. And and you're the co-founder and CEO over at InsureTech Connect. Um tell us a little bit more about what InsureTech Connect does here and I mean
2: your role specifically. Yes, so uh, you know along with Caribou Honig, we founded InsureTech Connect. You know, it's been five years ago, and InsureTech Connect is the world's largest gathering. Uh, It focuses on insurance, innovation, and transformation. So fifth year, fifth show coming up, it's going to be September 21st, 23rd in Las Vegas. Have to put that in there, about 8,000 people from 65 countries. Wow, that is impressive. That is a big event. I mean,
1: again, it it sort of speaks to the fact that insurance is something that people are fascinated in terms of changing, right?
2: I mean, some of the best compliments we can get are, I didn't know insurance could be this fun or this interesting or thank you for making insurance cool. <laughs> very cool. I mean, I was in insurance before banking. Insurance
1: is way more interesting than banking, so I'm, I'm very much with you there.
2: I don't know if you can walk around the streets of New York and say that out loud, but I would love for you to do it. I mean, I'll, I'll scream everything once. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Well, thanks for
1: much for joining. Um, the other person that we've got along is Quentin Coolin, who is the co-founder and CEO of Waffle. Um, thanks for coming back. We You came and hung out on, on air a few, what was it, in yep. November? December, I think. Was it? Yeah. Um, Time flies, right? Um, but, I mean, do you want to give us a bit of an overview about Waffle for sure, the people sure, who haven't heard sure, on in second sure, sure. Insider?
0: So, basically, at Waffle, we create the J policy or the David policy, one policy that protects you, everyone, and everything that you love, no matter what happens. And we do that through one product. So, one of the sexy things that we do is that, to the extent possible, we remove exclusion from the coverage, so can cancel at any plane. You can cancel your plane at any time for any reasons. Uh, if you get really tired of listening to my spiel, you take your phone, you crash it against the wall. It's it's covered. So we offer a very different kind of coverage, and we try to do it in a way that is really convenient for for people. Who, Basically,
1: really don't like getting insured. Nice. I mean, literally the opposite of pretty much main every other insurance company, right? <laughs> yeah, you said it. I didn't. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, exclusions is how they get you, right? That's so, true. That's I mean, true. On that note, maybe let's kind of get into it. I mean, if I think the, the first thing to go is, I mean, what happened in New York? Like it feels like actually the the industry, particularly here, I mean, I know you're you're off to Vegas for the for the conference, but New York seems to be the real heart
2: from an insure tech perspective. Um, how has that happened here? Yeah, I mean, New York is an amazing place. And I think what's so fascinating, you know, sort of about New York, is really it's it's why so many companies want to start here. There is a complexity, there is a diversity, and it is a financial capital. And if we think about, you know, sort of what, now I'm going to go over on that one again, pineapple, pineapple. <laughs> so, uh, yeah. I completely had no idea what was going on then. And I was like, oh, no, I get that. Cool. Yeah, yeah, he's going with pineapple. So, I mean, I think what makes you know, sort of New York City so fascinating is it may not be the first place that you think about with insurance, but when you think about what insurance does... Uh, everything is in New York City. So all of the different types of risks, all the different type of financial institutions are here, and the population is here. So it's not many places that you can be to have sort of that self-contained ecosystem in such scale.
1: Mm. I mean, you know, anything with tech, like Silicon Valley is usually like epicenter of the world, right? But is it because of that financial district here that actually is is obviously much much stronger than pretty much anywhere else within the U.S. that has become the, you know, the mecca for,
2: for insure tech? I'm sure it's played some role, but I have to think that it's insurance. And so I think that there's a complexity again about insurance, it's regulated. And, you know, that is, I think, very different than when you think about the freewheeling, you know, sort of wild west, if you will. So I think there's a natural of how do you innovate within a regulated environment that is kind of just natural to sort of the New York City DNA?
0: Yeah, I completely agree. I think from A founder's perspective. You're the you're the center of everything in New York, right? It's the Empire State, and every single insurance company that you would want to work with is is represented here. I think from from a a startup perspective. you have more capital than in many other places. You have more capital than in in London. Mm. Not much more, but 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 more. All right, I think it's, not, it's, not a, a no, it's not competition. No, it's competition. But I think more fundamentally, I think there is a bigger willing willingness to take risk mm. in New York than than there is in in other places. Ta- taking risking in insurance, like, it, like I, th- I think
1: there's a joke in there somewhere. Yeah, isn't there, yeah exactly.
0: But, <laughs> but but like investing in founders. I mean, it takes such a long time for any insure tech to go to market, right? Because as as Jay mentioned, you have the regulation. It's a complex environment. Uh, and, and, and I think investors here have a, have a better sense that, you know, many of those investments will fail, but the ones that will make it uh, are actually really worth it. Mm-hmm. So, on, on, f- you know, in our perspective, um, it's the best place to be. You're also at the center sort of like you're in between Silicon Valley, Bermuda, London. Um, you can, you know, drop in Munich and, and, and Switzerland there. Point. It's at, You're really at the center of, of, of everything. And the market is also, in my view, and it, 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 it's no, uh, uh, it's not meant to offend anyone. It's just the market in the U.S. You just have many more opportunities. Mm. So the U.K. market, for instance, is very sophisticated, very competitive. The products are really, really efficient. Uh, real focus on innovation. Uh, it's not the case in the U.S. And you have real opportunities there. So I think that contributes to to New York being a. a a, a quite an important place.
1: I mean, if if you look at the, I mean, the major insurance companies, they're not really based here, though. So, it's, it, I mean, there's something, there's something True. weird that sort of True. has so happened.
0: They're not based here, but they always have people here. Sure. I mean, I've met all of the big Swiss and German and even British companies here mm. f- in their offices. Uh, some of the bestest office I've ever seen in my life, better than law firms, better than banks. Uh, so it's all, uh, they always have people there uh, mm. uh, that, that are that are here in New York, and and many of these people, interestingly, in my view, uh, beyond the, the, the day-to-day sort of business of insurance, many of these people are actually focus on innovation. Mm. So it's quite useful for for us from a founder's perspective. Yeah.
1: I mean, obviously, we cover, I mean, fintech as much as insurtech. But actually, I mean, fintech boomed probably hardest in London, really speared by the regulatory changes that kind of happened sort of post 2008. I mean, how much has the regulator played a part in in insurance and the sort of insurtech side of things here? Is that, is that, is it being a benefit or is it being a, a kind of a, a slowing I'm it down? I'm
2: going to the one answer. That, but... I can't wait. Yeah, so this <laughs> is the one that doesn't actually, that, that thinks of regulators as our friends. It's <laughs> I, I remember in our very first, uh, second, InsurTech Connect, you know, so Caribou was up there and there was a slide of hug the regulator. And it was sort of like a teddy bear. <laughs> and and part of it was, I, you know, my previous industry, the regulatory you know, environment was very, it was sort of. I'm trying to think of the right word, but it was against, right? It was a very antagonistic relationship. And it was such a, you know, change here where and I have to give, you know, this is where I give Andy Beal and the NAIC such credit. Uh, You know, there's a, at least our impression has been that the regulators are really genuinely interested because they see InsurTech as a way to help the constituents and help, you know, people get served better. So they've taken it upon themselves to be proactive in saying, like, let me understand it. Because a lot of these things will happen. So we might as well make sure they happen in a way that is safe and and legal mm. versus, you know, trying to stall innovation from happening. Mm. That sounds
1: like a, a parent with, like, underage drinking with your kids. It's like, we know you're going to do it, so we just uh-huh. want you to be
2: safe, darling. It's like that type of vibe, right? <laughs> yeah, right. So that we, what I hear is that, yes, they'd be great parents. Yes. <laughs> hey, we have a different approach to that in the UK. I'm not Listen,
0: glad. Listen, uh, 100% agree. I think our experience dealing with regulators is that they really, really want to help. Mm. Uh, I think there are two constraints. First, the statutes sometimes are difficult to go around. And second, I think they would be the first one to say that they don't necessarily have the capacities to sort of entertain those new, those new models. And I think that's one big difference with London And you were making the link with FinTech. London has this massive sandbox uh, effect that, that you can play with. That's not something you have in the US. The only sandbox in the US was in, uh, created in Ari- Arizona, I think, in March mm-hmm. of, of last year. But there is an exception for insurance.
1: Yeah, I mean, so. I mean, it's interesting because, like you say, the the sort of the the, the spark was regulation from a fintech perspective. Yep. You know, the the literal sandboxes that were yep. set up for, from an FCA perspective, and, that, and we haven't really seen that here, uh, and we haven't see, really seen that in insurance kind of globally. But I mean, it does feel like the. All of the other ingredients, there's a, an amazing sort of creative space here. There is, you know, huge amounts of uh, kind of um, tech capability that's overflowed from other areas within the U.S. Uh, and actually, I mean, there's problems, right? You know, New York seems to be quite a – I think I got like hit by a, nearly three taxis just trying to get here "Hey, you know. So there is clearly risk that needs to be mitigated for human beings, which is good. But, I mean, do you think it's the, the sort of um, a kind of a concentrated – uh, an amount of each of these things, whether it's created or technology or even just big organizations with big problems.
2: I mean, I mean, I think your, your point is, you know, and I don't know that, it, it is absolutely fun. Before, you know, this conversation, I actually took for granted, I love New York. I took for granted what an amazing insure tech scene it actually is. Mm. Because we spend so much time trying to look external around the world that I forgot to sort of say like, oh my gosh, look what's happening here. But I think, You know, if I were going to start a company that's in insurance, it isn't something, you know, by and large, for most of the insurtechs that are out there, it isn't something like an e-commerce play where you're just, you know, go to Silicon Valley, get developers, you know, figure out digital distribution and away you go. It's, you need, you know, capacity, you need licensing, you need all sorts of, you know, kind of. Big building blocks, and those are relationships. And yes, so those relationships are here, and it's domain expertise. And so the domain expertise is here. So you can put those pieces together in a way that I think is very hard to do in a in a place that's not New York City.
1: Yeah,
0: I I couldn't agree more. I think I think I think when you when you when you get a tech attached to an industry, whatever it is, you, they they all sort of go the same way when it comes to customer acquisition, sort of digital, social media acquisition of customers you see that it doesn't work in uh, insured tech and insurance as as much as the established channels that they have with brokers and agents or, or, or even the, the B2B or B2B2C model, right? You really see that for insured tech to succeed, as, as Jay said, you really need to understand insurance. You cannot apply the tech, e-commerce, practices that we've seen work so well for so many products. It doesn't work. Cheap customer acquisition gets you really, really risky customers. It doesn't work. That's why many of the high-profile insure techs are suffering because their customer base is actually quite risky. Mm. And I so, think,
2: and I'm sorry to interrupt you, but I think you, I mean, can't wait for you to tell us how much insurance you've had to learn in yeah, this yeah. process. Oh, but yeah. but I think one of the things that stuck with me when I you know, first met Quentin is this hyper awareness of you get what you pay for at times. Mm. And that this is, you know, you don't actually know that, you know, your LTV in the same way because right, your exposure is sitting out there.
0: Yeah. Absolutely, and, and and for us, you know, when it comes to risk management, and you want to try to convince your investor that you have a proper business model, they look at every other insure tech that that I've seen or, or consumer facing, and they're all trying to compete on price. And I'm like, well, that's your That's your your death warrant right there, right? How are you going to get a, a good LTV to CAC ratio? With, with very, very, very cheap product. Mm. That's why some of the coolest companies that we've seen, not gonna name them, but that they came from Australia to to Arizona, have, have changed to, to another business model and switched to a B2B, and you see that more and more. Mm. I think if you're an insure tech and you wanna have unit economics that work, you need to start rethinking the value prop and pay what you get for. You need to create products that have real value and understand that customers will have to pay a bit more for that yeah. value that's our thesis at least at Waffle.
1: yeah i mean uh, look we're we're in a we're in an industry i know we're we love this stuff, right? So insurance is like our thing. But insurance for like normal people is just not like the, hey, I really want some more insurance. Like <laughs> nobody like wakes up and was like, do you know what? I I want to feel that warm glow of being covered, you know? Uh, this is not, it's starting to sound like an advert right now. No, but-
2: no. But at the risk of, you know, I spend far too much the year thinking about what in my 90 seconds in the beginning of the show, what do I get to say? <laughs> so uh, at the risk of, you know, basically saying some of what I was already thinking of saying, I got to speak at, you know, sort of my kid's school and it isn't until you have to explain like what you do for a living that you realize that, wow, it's actually hard to explain. Yeah. And so I was, but I was speaking to someone and, uh, she's the chief strategy officer at access digital. Turns out that her daughter is in the same class as ours and she went before me. So I didn't have to figure out how to say what insurance was, but then I sort of, you know, I asked her and I said, what, what is it, uh, how did you say it? And she goes, well, it's, I told them that I protect the things they care about and then just ask the kids, like, what is it that you care about? You know, and their answers are very different than ours. You know, it's their Legos, it's teddy bears, right? It's dolls. But at the end of the day, it's, I give you peace of mind. I give mm-hmm. you comfort and protection. I thought that actually got me really excited about insurance because it, it really means that it's something that anyone can understand. Uh, and I think a lot of the other complexities we've in some ways put upon ourselves mm-hmm. because it is a Complicated to do right.
1: Yeah, I mean, I think um, I completely agree with that. I mean, I think this is why many of those organisations were created in the first place. But I think similar to to, to banks, uh, you know, insurance companies have have probably lost that purpose along the last hundred and fifty years of their existence, essentially. So, you know, definitely that's why they they began on that journey. But actually, this is probably why many insurtechs have got the opportunity that they have, because actually explaining that to to a five year old or explaining it to anybody. Um, there's like a, there's like 50 years of bad insurance salespeople that have really bastardized that that purpose into, well, actually, you know, a thousand exclusions on a policy that actually doesn't cover you for the thing that you think you're covered for, which is actually really bad because I mean it's like it's like many different things. Insurance is seen as a um like a grudge above almost every other grudge really in terms of the things that you you buy it's like it's risk against something you don't want to happen happening which is just weird isn't it really um but is this why, do you think, actually, why there has been that opportunity? I know, I mean, I know, Quentin, you're going to say this. It's like, uh-huh. you know, big incumbent organizations, transparency not necessarily being a thing. But, uh, you know, why has there been so much opportunity left on the table for, for a, you know, really a small company shouldn't be threatening a gigantic company? But this is what's happening in the industry, right? I completely agree. I mean, to me, what you said is exactly
0: right. People... When some people will always be pride-sensitive and want to get, get it over with, get a cheap policy. But then most people will actually care about what's covered. And I think most of the people in the industry take pride in what they do. They're, they're actually protecting people. But there are too many instances where they cannot protect their clients p- because the policy is full of exclusion. One of our board members has a house in California and there is a bear that came into the house, right? Destroyed the living room, blah blah blah. There was no one there, right? So no, nobody got injured. And then the guy calls his uh, his insurance agent, and the agent said, "Well, I'm so sorry, you have a bear exclusion on your policy." <laughs> and you're like, "Dude, I mean, in which world does that make any sense?" But but so this is one particular thing. But think about travel insurance. Our thesis is that most people don't buy travel insurance. Most people don't check that little box on kayak. Why? because it doesn't cover freaking cancellation. What is the point? And I think if there is one thing that the industry has not managed well, it's sort of this proliferation of exclusions and getting policies that are longer and longer with more more defined covered reasons, more exclusions, and which at the end of the day means that buying the product actually has no real value because it's very unlikely that you're going to fall under one of the covered reasons. And so that's why we are trying to flip that equation and find the value that you were describing was missing, uh, rightfully so, is is by saying, well, David, we're going to protect you no matter what. Mm. It might not be everything you might not get a hundred percent of your your damage back but you will get something sizable that sure. that will make it worthwhile I think that's that's a shift in, in mindset and you can still make money out of it because there is a market for the people that don't buy current insurance mm. products so that's our thesis
1: well I, I mean you know the the sort of liability side of things the exclusions the the sort of punitive bear traps as you're yeah. to continue your you know narrative around bears I mean is, is this a a uh, is this a difficult thing, given there's organizations like yourself and many other companies coming in and sort of unpicking what it is to provide insurance and to cover people? I mean, how are the big players reacting to that? Because this is, this is, I mean, as much culture as anything, right? This yeah. is why your organization is established. And I mean, to your point, Jay, this is the the fundamental purpose of why your company exists. So, how are they responding to people like you coming into the market? Really tough, right? It's, um, I would say that, and I was talking to Jay
0: just before the show and, and, and telling him a, a story. Most of the people I talk to in the industry have been incredibly helpful. And most of them are really patient with my naivete about certain thing right some have been complete douche like a a few of them We like they would come into the ro- the room start to insult you then leave the room and then the, the colleagues apologize so it it is a mindset that I'm glad needs i you get that too like <laughs> yeah. i mean i just thought that was me <laughs> there is a mindset that needs to change i think
1: we'll will we'll get there to 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 some extent but, but, it, but, but is it, that fear is that is that Hey, we're I, on a good thing here. I, I, don't fuck this up, dude. Like you know, this is how we make money. Or, I, I
0: don't know if it's I don't know if it's fear or if it, I don't want to characterize emotionally what what people are going through. I don't know what they're going through, but as as, as you both said, right? It's a highly regulated environment, right? So if you want to change a product, mm-hmm. it takes time, and especially in the US, especially in New York, that is. Usually seen as the 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 outlier regulator, right? Where you actually want to get that kind of product approved, it takes months and years, and most insurtechs don't have months and years because just cash is running out. Mm. So so it is hard. I think it takes a little bit of chance as well, and having the right people, the right time, the right investors, the right the right inside expertise. um so far we're surviving on, on, on that level. We we may crash at some point, don't think so now, uh, because we're we're well ahead, but it it it's hard. And I also think that's why, you know, going back to your first question, why in New York, I think you have investors who understand that it really takes time mm. here to to get to the market. And Jay has seen
2: well, that's, thousands
0: of insured techniques. It's, right? it's
2: such a good point. We were speaking with the folks at, uh, at Guggenheim, and I remember seeing the name Guggenheim you know, sort of on our attendee list. And it wasn't until I spoke with them where, you know, I I think it reminded me almost when I first like spoke with Quentin, I was like, I don't know if I fully get what you're doing, uh, which means there's a really good chance you're really onto something because sometimes (laughs) that's the, the best things are. And, And I remember, you know, thinking, and they are just, you know, they're just some of the most creative, you know, sort of financiers who understand, you know, insurance in a way as well. And so you think about, you know, there, there is money, I mean, I think today it's now common knowledge that most VCs, if they're going to invest in a direct-to-consumer, pure-play insurer, they don't want that capital being, you know, in the reserves capital. So, you know, and so what you really need is the because the, it is still a very financial instrument and of a lot of insurance. So you need some really smart finance people. And it turns out, right, if they know insurance and they're really smart finance people, they can unlock opportunities for startups in a way that is unbelievable. Right, if they can save you five percent. You know, on your cost because they're really good at the way they do financing. So I think it's, it is definitely another thing that uh, you know, a place like New York has to offer. But I, I did want to say, and it was to, to Quentin's point, I think there is a, it's what makes insurance special is by and large, it's people who have chosen a field where they know you don't get the spotlight. So it has, yes, there's some chips on the shoulder on occasion, like everyone. Uh, but I think really it's people that have connected to what this industry does so it has a far more propensity of non-douchey people who generally are open and want and, and recognize what happens that if if someone innovates everyone wins mm. um and you know again i you know, going back I, I think to something that i think quinton's company is doing and you know, it reminds me of another one of our favorite entrepreneurs a soft wand where it's it isn't just being there in the time of something happens i remember i was at at forget where i was and i saw this like company present about on demand key replacement and i thought well wow if i was a homeowner like that'd be great if i'm locked locked out and so i remember you know like emailing you know a and being like hey i saw this company they do this seems like it could be a great thing and he writes back and he goes oh yeah we offer that and you know again it just it speaks to mm. right i mean
1: it's an interesting thing i mean it's like filling real problems you know fulfilling real problems for consumers where insurance moves away from being that that grudge thing but and we talk about financial services missing the service a lot and actually if you can start shaping products around real needs that consumers have like literally that happened to one of my neighbors in london uh in december like at 3 a.m in the morning i was like what the hell is that noise and they were cutting the lock off their door because they'd lost their keys so it's things like that where it's like you fix a real problem for people; they will. Once that's happened once, then they will take that type of insurance out because they don't want all that hassle and the, you know, waking their neighbours up like that and all the different things that come with it. So, but it's and that's a different type of opportunity, isn't it? It it means the market starts to mature. It means consumers are getting real products and real services that meet their needs rather than trying to exclude their needs. Um, but it's, I mean, it's interesting. I mean, do you see though? I mean, obviously with people like Lemonade and more kind of on-demand type insurances, the incumbent organizations are usually uh, inhibited by either from a cultural or from a technological perspective. So are they, you know, the the big Really big insurance companies. Are, are they able to kind of respond to these changing needs from a consumer's perspective, or actually the disruption that we're sort of seeing in the market with with players coming in? So I think that the one mistake that some insurtechs have
0: made the past five years is to underestimate the industry. Never, never underestimate the industry. Yes, five years ago they were they might have been lacking behind. But these guys know insurance like no one else. That's their business. They've been doing that for 400 years. Nobody understands risk better than they do. Nobody has better established channels than they do. So um, they're getting there. Some quicker than than others, mm-hmm. and you, and we see it every day in our interactions. Some are really, really innovative and and you know progress focused and, and customer focused. Some are really lagging behind. But at some point they will have the shift. Mm-hmm. And there are such big players. Um, that, yeah, I would never underestimate them and think that you know, uh, insurtech is going to sort of like all of a sudden become like the the, the Google of, of of search or like the the Apple of consumer products. Uh, they're they're here to stay, mm. unless by some magical phenomenon you get a Google, an Apple, or an Amazon getting into the space which some of them have been trying to do. Look at yeah. Apple Card, right? Yeah. Apple is the biggest fintech in the world now, right? Sure. So um, unless these guys are coming in, I think the industry is is here to stay if they're willing to adapt. And, and uh, you know, I've seen every indication that, that they are, in, and I, I think Jay shared
2: that that point. Oh, yeah. Disruption sells more tickets. You know, yeah. fear is a great storyline, yeah. but what's really going to win, and, and we see it, is it's the partnerships. Yeah. and. Yeah. And let's face it, you don't want to bite the hand, I think, that may ultimately feed you because it's one thing if you're trying to compete with them. But what happens when the incumbent turns around and, and you know, your investors look at the, you know, IRR on that and go, you're taking that deal. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, I think it's – it behooves everybody to to sort of realize that it's – this is not a winner take all, especially at an industry level, I think Quentin said it best.
0: If I can just add one thing, I think if there is a change for incumbents or risk, it's facing other incumbents. Because the one thing that hasn't changed at all is the supply chain, right? So you could very well see in 10 years, you know, risk on one side and customer on the other. And then the question will be, well, why is there so many people in between? Why is there an agent? Why is there an MGA? Why is there a carrier and a reinsurer? My view of, of this is that you will basically have companies in 10, 15 years holding the risk and reinsuring the risk on their own. And then a direct link with the consumer. So the change in the supply chain is not going to come from insure tech, it's going to come from incumbent facing incumbent. And that's why you hear all those rumors about big carriers buying other big carriers or big brokers buying other big brokers. I think it's going to consolidate and the supply chain is going to get more straightforward than it is now. And that, we're seeing so
2: much of that experimentation now, which is really yeah. like fun. It's no one knows what's going to win. So people are saying, well, gee, yeah. is it going to be this? And the the value chain of insurance is so complicated that, and that's also what I think makes insure tech as a movement so interesting is it's not just this one thing. It it is, it is claims, right? It is how you create products, how you underwrite Mm. product, right? It's every single piece can do a fundamental change and figuring out which one of those matter when for you, I mean, right. It it keeps us exciting.
1: Yeah. I mean, I think the, the, the nice thing around the change within insurance is it's I mean, the the problem with insurance is usually you see a customer once a year when they buy a product, and then hope you don't see them again, right? And actually, the the way in which you can start to provide a you know an, an everyday engagement where you are that safety net for them and their day to day life that's a that's a very different type of service. But I mean, if you look at
2: the the things that have sort of happened in the fintech space, and, know, and I and I hate to interrupt you, so you'll just have to forgive me. Okay. But I think that's I do think that's a really interesting point that we should try to like elaborate on because. You know, I always thought that was one of the best things, like be involved in the risk mitigation or just be involved. Some saw it as a cost center. And then others, what I heard was when when early on I was talking to a startup and I said, this is genius. Why isn't anyone buying this? And they said, well, the problem is you know, the actuaries, they wanted this many years of data. So if I come to them and sell them today and say, this reduces the risk, they say, prove it. And we don't have enough data. So I, I but I do think that to your point, in one of the biggest trends that we have seen is this idea of like the insure n- not trying to deliberately disappear, sort of like the gym that says, if you don't, I don't want you to think about not showing up. That's why gyms don't send you emails mm-hmm. to say, please come. Like they don't want you to be reminded <laughs> of it. So, you know, how does, what is that role of the active role to really help? And yes, it will reduce risk as well, but it's also just to be there in their lives. Yeah, definitely. The preventative,
1: be,
0: for sure. To, right? to be there and to actually show a positive value, regardless of whether there is something mm. shitty happening. Yeah. Because think about the experience. You basically buy something, you get a piece of paper that says, David, you're going to get some money when something bad happens under certain narrow conditions. And then one, then nothing. Then you wait, months, years until you actually claim. But if you claim, it means that something bad happened. In other words, currently the experience is always quote-unquote negative. It's not negative with the
2: agent. You can have a good relationship. And you're going right? exactly. like to you, you, pay more, Exactly. Like, I don't want to claim now because I'm going to pay yeah. more now. Exactly.
0: You pay something, that something shitty happens to you, and then you have to go through a shitty process. So we look at risk mitigation a lot. That's a big part of what we do. But beyond the risk mitigation that is actually really hard to model from an actual perspective, because as Jay said, we don't have enough data to model the real, you know, change in the actual model. But beyond that, it actually showed that there is a company that cares, even if we don't have to gain anything right away. Mm. It's not about reducing a risk that we're going to pay out tomorrow. It's about reducing a risk that we might have to pay out two years down the line. And that makes a bit different from a business standpoint. Also, massively increases stickiness, lowers churn, and in insurance, that's the name of the game. Yeah, yeah. and I
2: think that's really hard. You know, you think about like with a soft and hippo and the keys, like that's just a cost center. Yeah, yeah. and it doesn't necessarily yeah. reduce the risk. Mm. So it's and it's hard to do that. I think if you're a traditional incumbent, just the mechanisms of being able to offer that and at scale. Agreed. It's really really hard.
1: Yeah, I mean, is that. I mean, we keep talking, we keep saying risk, and that's sort of part of the problem, right? I think people have started to be managed like risk. Well, I mean, they they are managed like risk. They're not managed like people. And people have real problems, and they want empathy from the organisations that they're actually engaging with. That mm-hmm. they're probably paying. I mean, over here, paying for things like health insurance, just like an amazing amount of money too the lack of real sort of empathy for human problems is really where every industry sort of gets itself into to, to problems. You know, banking treats people like a balance sheet. Like, insurance treats people like pools of risk. Um, how can... And the problem with that is that actually for a big organization, that's not some veneer user experience change. That's like fundamental change in the culture of the organization and actually the product makeup as well. And that's bloody hard, you know I mean? You don't do that overnight because it's the whole... Um, Clayton Christensen thing. It's like you know, uh, innovation is wonderful, but it really fucks with your business model. You know, I'm not sure he swore. Clayton is like a really nice guy, isn't he? But you know, but do you know what I mean. It's like the whole thing around just destroying your existing business to h- the hope of a new one is why most organizations won't do that.
2: And you think about the right, the precision, and, and it's like a machinery. You use only so much margin for error, and the moment that you basically say. No, no, there's this sort of gray area, right? That's not how insurance has been. It's not been about gray. I look at, you know, we are inspired by some of the the best hospitality brands. And it's amazing because how do you deliver such a consistent experience? It actually relies on an immense amount of human, individual human, like, judgment. Mm. And and that's, I think that's really, really hard to get right. And that's why we don't see it as much because it's, in a way, much easier to do quality control and like a machinery process standpoint, like Mm. call center get it right, this is the way that it is, versus, no, 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 you, you don't have to ask anything. He, use your judgment yeah. to make it better and more human. I agree. Uh, Sorry.
1: I mean, we've talked about regulation a few times, So we've sort of touched on that as a as a, I mean, the, the incumbents use it as a reason why actually nobody will come and challenge us, like, we're too big, the regulator wouldn't allow it, you know, any old sort of Mickey Mouse people kind of coming into this space. Um But actually, often it's used as an excuse why we're not going to do anything innovative as well. I mean, from your experience with the the sort of regulators here, I mean, is that a uh, you know they've got a pretty good reputation? I think rightly so, and you know, you would expect nothing less than the regulator to be you know challenging. But is the is the sort of excuse that the regulator won't allow us to do anything innovative really really true, or or is it just uh, is it just an excuse people use not to make change happen? I, I don't think
0: that they would not allow you to do anything innovative, I, I just think it takes time. And and when you're an insure tech, time is not necessarily something you have. So it's sort of like this, this sort of vicious circle. Um, I, you know, our experience has been they've always been really, really open to, uh, to what we wanted to do. The, the question and, and especially us, we you know, we we underwrite risk very differently instead of underwriting you know, Jay the, the driver or David the homeowner, we underwrite you holistically. It's a completely new new way of underwriting people that requires regulators to look at the products and, and to look at the black box and and see whether what we do is discriminatory or not. And and that takes time, but it also takes capacities. And many regulators just don't have the capacities you only have basically I'm not going to name them but five states in the u.s out of the 50 that have actually actuaries that are that are on the payroll and and that have the ability to look at this stuff right most of the other states just don't have enough money to hire actuaries yeah and and that's a problem and and you know regulators and You know, I worked at the United Nations before this. I dealt with regulators in all kinds of circumstances. And and the vast, vast majority of these guys perform a function that is absolutely critical. There is a reason these guys are there, and it's to protect the public, right? And somebody has to protect the public because you can't trust companies to auto-regulate and and to self-regulate like we've seen many m- many many times over. So it's I think it's a combination of things it but in in my view it's really the, the time it takes. Mm. It's not the willingness to help or not to help. The excuse that they don't want to do in, in anything innovative is bullshit. Mm. To me it's really the time it takes to get through the hoops because these guys also have statutes that they need to abide by. They need to put you in a box because that's how the law and the statutes have been have been written and and yeah, you know it takes time to find a way to, to, to get you there. Hmm.
1: What do you think, Jay?
2: No, I, I actually couldn't agree more, and I think time is the underappreciated yeah. reason. You know, you've already heard that I'm pro-regulator. I think we have some of the best regulators, but the idea that, and, and you know, Quinn said it too, like every state is both different, every state is run differently, has different resources, but it's, <clears throat> it's really a question of, of time. And intratechs move fast. You know, they want stuff done now, and... A regulator, it it just it's say it's like a variable in their life that is just uncorrelated in the same way that is for a startup. Mm.
1: Yeah. yeah. It's interesting. I mean, here and the UK and Singapore and I mean Australia and Hong Kong now. It's the regulator both in InsurTech and in FinTech seems to be the the real arbiter for the real driver for for change really globally in this space. And and I think it's it's interesting because it's it's the thing that Uh, While big incumbent organizations can really sort of, you know, poo-poo the impact that smaller companies coming into this space can have, when the regulator is pro-customer and actually outcomes for the consumer being better than the incumbents are actually sort of moving towards in an industry level at that stage, it really sort of levels the playing field. I mean, I would be terrified if there's any regulator anywhere who makes it easy because that's like just mental like that brings risk into the the system that isn't required so the idea of like them being tough sounds good but tough and fair sounds like a, the 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 best outcome right
2: T- tough and fair great way to put it and as much as I think right consumers win with innovation I, I love this innovation drives our business so we love seeing it. I think it's also fair to say that fundamentally insurance isn't broken. So there isn't this like screaming hair on fire problem that this entire like model is just broken. No, it it isn't broken. So it's really about improvements. Yeah. yeah I mean, I'd say different
1: types of insurance may be slightly different because I think there's I mean, to your point earlier on, I mean, I'd say like health insurance here, there's there's so much that could be done to change you know, the underserved, the overcharged kind of markets here. Um, you know, motor insurance commoditized it as much as you like. And therefore, actually, the, the, the things you can do to sort of innovate in that space have almost been, you know, insurance companies have been their own worst enemy in that space, because they've sort of done it to themselves, you know. And it's, I mean, it's really interesting to see as different markets have played out in different ways as well, you know, the roles of aggregators in Europe UK, have been yeah, yeah, amazing, yeah. really, in terms of disintermediation of the people who are intermediating in the first place. So it's, it's interesting to see how different markets have played out with ultimately very similar financial instruments yeah. yeah
0: i agree with jay i mean this is this is not an industry that is broken it's an industry that is not efficient for the customers the way that it should be mm. i think we should put health on the side here because it's a very us centric problem sure. it is a shit show you're a brit i'm from belgium we come from societies where healthcare is effectively free you pay more taxes right fair enough but 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 you don't you don't have that sort of for profit Healthcare as a business, not as a
2: as a right kind sure. of thing. So I think we should put it on on, on the side. Uh, and let's face it, here in the U.S., you know, unlike in the UK and other parts of the world, there is no insurance company like a PNC insurance company that is also into health. There yeah, is exactly. No ex- life ex- insurance company yeah. here that also is into traditional. Health, so the, it is a very separate in a lot of ways. Yeah, I
0: and I mean, it's just the numbers are just crazy. The, the average American pays 19% of his income on 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 healthcare, as opposed to seven or eight percent in 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 continental Europe or Canada. It's like, and and the, the the health outcomes are really at the very bottom when you compare OECD numbers. So, so, so it's really a
2: mess. Uh, I do think And I love that you used to You know Be with the United Nations Because this is You know I mean there's a, He knows a thing or two About this stuff no,
0: <laughs> dude, That actually It it makes me angry Because I've seen The health I've been here for 20 years I've yeah. seen the system and, and it's really deeply unfair I was always very lucky To have people supporting me And, and finding the right doctor But for, for many people It's not okay Anyway I think think there's, there's a whole other episode at yeah, some point exa- we can get exa- onto that ex- one. Exactly, exactly. I'll bring some beers. Yeah, you can cut it in the edit room. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, on the on the, I want to say something on the on the car stuff. Um, I do think that you're going to see tons of innovation on not as you said, you know, insurance as a product because the system is not broken and the car is probably the most efficient PNC line in the US. Mm-hmm. Uh, also, when you look at the cost structure, risk actually takes sixty percent or seventy percent of the of the premium as opposed to fifty for other PNC line. Uh, but you're going to see so more real tech coming in and improving the quality of the insurance and the quality of the price that you pay. And the, we were talking about risk mitigation earlier, right? Um, the only place we actually see real risk mitigation, from incumbents is car insurance. It's like, oh, if you drive safe, you're going to get your discount kind of thing. It's like the little monitors on your stuff. And you're going to see that more and more. And I think that's fascinating. Mm. And we but do.
2: I, I mean, that, that sort of we start to see people telematics. We see it with John Hancock and, yeah. you know, and Vitality. So, I mean, Absolutely.
1: And I think that's interesting. I mean, it goes back, I think, Jay, to your point around preventative measures. Actually, you know, we're we're seeing people being able to manage risk more effectively by taking more ownership of that risk in the first place, which is great. You know, the old thing of like, don't worry, I've got insurance, like, they'll figure that out. Like, actually, now it's given the hike from a premium perspective, if you do claim, then actually everybody's incentives are aligned to, you know, this is something you have to have in some industries is what you should have in others. And you buy it to make you feel better
2: about life, but you hope you never use it, right? I mean, I was, I was thinking about the, I'm actually glad that it's as regulated as it is, because not, not only is it better for people, but I actually think that it, it has created opportunities for companies that Otherwise, wouldn't even be able to exist. I mean, imagine an unregulated en- environment. You know, I think it is it is the reason why we haven't seen Amazon, we haven't seen Apple do more, you know, in here. They have, or Google, they have the data. And they have more data and they have, you know, ways that they can use the data. But I think because right, they don't want to be regulated, uh, it's, it's been a nice, you know, it's been a barrier and, and, and for entry in you know, in other ways where we might have seen a far greater disruption to date. Mm. Yeah.
1: I mean, I think Google, Facebook, Apple, I mean, they're not good at showing people what's in the box very often, are they? So and the, the regulator doesn't like that very much.
0: True, except if they start to sell something more than insurance, something that is not insurance, but that performs the same function. That's where the real revolution mm. could happen. Otherwise, yeah. it's just going to be the incumbents improving and offering better quality and better customer service
2: we were and that's something that we were talking about earlier is that you you will hear this there's been a lot of money invested you know right it's just 13 15 16 right there's billions of dollars invested and you'll hear some people saying have we seen it all is common refrain yeah like oh it's just incremental And, and quentin i think was one of the few that said i i don't maybe we have but there's also a good chance that that we haven't because at least you know there's a way in which it could still be fundamentally changed. And I think that's that's it right there that you just said.
1: Exciting times, eh? So where are we going? I mean, the industry is in flux. There, there is the potential that actually there is technologies coming through that can be very disruptive to actually what it means to be an insurance provider in this industry now. Where do you guys see the, the sort of horizon for, for sort of major change? Or in fact, do you think it won't happen? Do you think the big incumbents have got too much to protect, to maintain the way in the the way the industry is set up today. Um, where are we going in the next five years, do you think?
2: Well, I can tell you where we're going in the next you know, five months. We're going to go to Singapore, June 2nd <laughs> through 4th. Nice. I mean, you made it just too easy for me. That Yeah, we are, yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> wow. Well,
1: right,
2: what, what do you think,
1: Quentin? Where, uh, where are we heading to? Listen,
0: I think incumbents have a very good chance of of maintaining their status and getting actually much better yeah. through intro tech. um I do think that we haven't seen all of it, and we've seen a lot, and Jay has seen much more than anybody else, I think, combined, especially in the US. Um, I, I, I genuinely believe that the first company that will offer a value proposition that performs the function of insurance but flips the experience from a negative into a positive one will actually conquer the market. I don't know if that's actually feasible. and. I, you know, at Waffle, we have some ideas how to do it. Whether it's feasible or not, time will tell. But I wouldn't I – wouldn't, if I had to bet, I would say 75% incumbent now. But I think there is still room for um, changing the f- very core principles of insurance. Um, you know, we are switching from a product-based, you know, J, the policyholder or the car, to J insurance. Can you go further than this? Can you do one product that encompasses insurance, finance, and, and everything else? And that, that will be the real revolution, in, in my view. Other industries coming into this one and, and offering something completely different.
1: Very cool. I mean, exciting times. Feels like lots of opportunity for new players and old players in this space. So, uh, I mean, we'll keep seeing where we go. All right, guys, um, we could probably talk about this all night, but we've all got places to be, so let's uh, let's wrap this up. Where can people find out more about you and Waffle, content?
0: Uh Website, trywaffle.com. Sign up for the early access. We are launching in June. Get ready. Jay is customer number one. David is customer number two. Sounds good. And
2: uh, that's about it. Thank you for having us uh Jay, where can people find out more about InsureTech Connect? So they can go to insure dot and they can spell it with the e or without the e, and they'll get to us. Uh, a little bit of an inside tech joke there.
1: Nice. <laughs> different people, different approaches. All right. Uh,
0: there is no e on your banner here. InsureTech without an e, and, and uh, the InsureTech Connect has
2: an e. Yeah, we have you know? an e. We have an e in the name, but uh, even we will uh, say that the industry is the InsureTech industry, but we. We, we will proudly uh, fly that e uh, you know in our name and David is thinking damn I, I need to cut this into the editing room and
1: no I, I mean I, lo- I love the w- things that people get weird about, well, right El <laughs> yeah. that know you can find me over on Twitter at David Breer as always you can find us over on Twitter on at InsureTechInsider insider and uh, go over to LinkedIn and find the 11FS page there as well. There's some super interesting things that we're putting out increasingly about insurance this year. So don't forget to subscribe to this podcast. You can find us on Spotify and, I mean, pretty much anywhere you can find a podcast at this stage. Don't forget also to head over to 11FS.com forward slash newsletter where we've just relaunched all that good stuff. All right, Insurer Tech Insider. We'll be back in two weeks. Thanks for listening, folks. Goodbye.